Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week we are talking about technology and some of the limits of technology. I think one of the issues that I often hear from teachers when they complain about technology being used in language learning is it just gets overused. So to help us do that today, we have Mark Pemberton. Mark is CEO of StudyCat. StudyCat's an app that helps young learners learn English effectively through fun games and activities. Mark started off as a language teacher in the 1990s and has since gone on to create his own app with tens of millions of downloads. So in this episode, I asked Mark about some of the problems with technology, such as language learners spending too much time staring at screens, the reasons why people using apps for language learning maybe tend to give up rather quickly, and to what extent it's ever possible for language learners to really practice speaking effectively without face-to-face classes. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Mark. So to start off, just to give our listeners a bit of context, you've been involved in EdTech now for over 20 years. How did it all start? So the the origin story for StudyCat was that in in 1997, I decided that someone had explained to me what was happening with the internet. And um, I thought, well, wow, that's going to change everything in the world. I, I loved teaching. I was teaching at Sesame Street at the time. And I thought, well, if I can, what could I do that could leverage the internet? And I, then I started thinking, well, if I could create digital English solutions that could be delivered online, and if I could deliver those into China, I'm going to be a billionaire by the time I'm 35. And that was the plan. And uh, here I am at nearly 50, and uh, our, our, our top market is the United States and, and Europe. And it's just very bizarre how businesses work out. But the first iteration of the business was in, in uh, 2000 when we launched brick and mortar language schools. We wanted to make something that was fun based. We wanted to make something that children would learn to speak from because all of the issues that we saw in, in teaching were that children were doing rote learning, very bored in the classroom, and they were never able to speak. And in around 2002, we started bringing... Um, computers into the classroom and testing flash-based games. We'd sit there and we'd let them play smash the fruit games in flash. And we saw the power of the screens and the power of game-based learning. And by 2005, 2006, we were doing full video, interactive virtual worlds, uh, which culminated in us launching a fully immersive virtual world in 2008. And we were just too early. So in 2008, 2009, no one was subscribing to immersion learning online and then you know you fast forward 10 years and it's come full circle and we're doing everything all over again but this time it's all mobile based you mentioned the power of the screen there that reminds me i remember of a time hanging out with uh, two friends and their kids and we were all playing this uh, like a board game with the kids and then the tv went on and both kids i think these kids were about five or six years old at the time were just transfixed yeah. by what was on the screen. And it wasn't even anything particularly interesting. Well, I think we all understand it, don't we? Because, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but even in my day now, I'm probably looking at a screen, I don't know, 70% of the time. And I look at my kids and I watch I watch children around devices talk about engagement. You know, the children, adults, all of us are very, very drawn to the screens and this was pre-tablet, pre-iPhone, pre-smartphone. This was the old school PCs. And you'd see the children just go in and very simplistic stuff they could do then. 
but they'd be really, really captivated and engaged. So we saw really quickly the power of the learning outcomes from kids on screens. And then when we used to put the early projector interactive white screens, when you put it on the white screen, the interactive screen, the kids would suddenly be like, zoom. They'd be really, really focused. You know when you're teaching and you're jumping up and down, you're trying to keep the kids' attention. As soon as the screen came on, you had their attention. So who knows what it is, but the, the power of the screen is a real thing. And I think for, for any language learning, you need to have the teacher, the book, the flashcards, and then you need to have the technology. So I would hope that the 15-year the argument that I've been having is actually a false argument. It will come to an end soon. And that argument is that traditional teaching methods for ELT are better than EdTech solutions for ELT because you need them both. You need to have every single tool available to you to be able to teach children language quickly and effectively. And whether that's a flashcard, a student book, a reader, an activity book, a worksheet, a game, a song, you know, you need all of the tools available to you for children to learn because they need variety. Any one of those things alone will not do it, but the combination of teachers, classrooms, traditional books, and, and technology is the ultimate solution for learning language, and that's the way the market's going. I completely agree about the variety you mentioned there. There's obviously, there's obviously things I think can be done best without a teacher, like memorizing vocabulary. That's probably done best of all on an app. Getting comprehensible input through graded readers. That's maybe just best done by yourself at home. And then there are other things that I think really are best done in a classroom, like talking to other people. Anyway, to go back to the power of the screen, do, do adults and children at the moment not already spend too much time looking at screens? Oh, I'm, I'm fully supportive of that argument. I think that um, I think ultimate is probably a losing battle. You know, I write quite often about this on our blog about screen time, and I think the key is quality screen time. Uh, this is a personal issue for me with, with my own kids. I have uh, two spare devices in my house that my kids share. And, you know, I come down on a on any given morning and they both be on their devices. My wife and I, we communicate a lot with the kids. We want them to be free to be able to use their devices at their own discretion. But we also want them to understand that use the device for 10, 15 minutes and then put it down, get up and do something else and bake some bread, go out and play football, go, go running, ride your bicycle. So like everything in life, it's about balance. I think specifically for the classroom, the way I would manage a modern-day classroom is do everything without the technology initially. Do your register, calm everybody down, get everybody in, the, in a nice, calm frame of mind, get the conversation going with the kids, and then set the targets for the class. And then say, listen, if we can achieve the targets that we're going to try and hit, the last 15 minutes we can, we can do screen time together. That, to me, always worked well with the kids. You use, use technology in the screen time as a reward, and you find that the children will push hard to get to the learning outcomes that you set for them so that they can get to the screen time. That, that's how I used to use technology in the classroom. So apps and technology and online learning are often part of the flipped classroom approach where the learners do a lot of the learning at home and then the practice happens when they come up to class, which is, I guess, really the opposite of what happened in traditional education. Sounds like a great approach in theory, but one of the problems I find with it is it's just very difficult to get the learners to do the preparation. I've even found this with using a flipped approach in teacher training. Great in theory, but the reality is often that when people show up face-to-face, -face, they've just not done their homework. So what is it that teachers can do 
differently to get kids to do more preparation for class at home? Okay, that's a really good question. I think a lot of us struggle with that, that exact issue. Um, I think the, the way that I used to manage class would be peer pressure. So we all need to do this. We're all in this together. And if you don't do it, then none of us can do the screen time today or none of us can play that game today because a certain amount of people haven't done their activities. I think the other way of doing it is just to make sure that it's, it's not really boring or, or onerous to do it. And then I think that's got to do with the challenge level. We make our apps, they're quite difficult. We, we see kids get frustrated because we don't make them easy. Uh, but that inspires the kids, I'm going to get past this level, I'm going to get past this level. And that process of repetition and keep trying, keep trying, leads to the outcome we want, which is language acquisition. And for the kids, uh, they've got that challenge level to, to keep going forward on. So tell us a bit more about the sort of level of challenge there. Like what's that kind of sweet spot that you're looking to hit? And leading on from that, I've also heard that a lot of language learning apps, people tend to use them for a few days and then drop off and, and stop using them. How do you manage to solve that conundrum? This is something that is really, really, really fascinating. And it's a, it's a big part of what we do, which is data driven. So we, we look at the analytics and we look at retention and gameplay. And we have found that if we get the challenge level just right, that there's a huge uh, impact on retention and of engagement in terms of them returning and playing and again and again and again. If we make it too easy, kids just get bored. If we make it too difficult, kids get frustrated. If you get it just right, if the challenge level is just right, then kids will keep playing and they come back and they play more because they get the, the buzz of, wow, I passed that level, I, I've done that now. For any of us learning languages, you go through phases of frustration that you can't quite improve and then you make that breakthrough and you just feel good about yourself again. So I, I don't think it's just apps that people get bored with doing around language learning. How many people do you know that decide they're going to learn language and a week or two later they drop off? I mean, private lessons that you get the private students and they're all fired up, they're going to learn a language and then, you know, one month, two months later, they've already lost interest. It's uh, time on task for language learning is key. Motivation is key. I learned Chinese, but I was in an, in an environment where I had to. I think if you're not in the environment and there isn't that real necessity to learn, it's very difficult. And I think it's really important for all of us teachers to try and let children understand the reason why we're doing this. Now, I remember being a kid and, and, and learning physics and chemistry and not knowing what on earth. They just start with formulas and they start with things that you don't really understand. There's never context for it. So I think as educators, as teachers, it's really important to just be really basic and fundamental in saying the reason why we're teaching them this strange language. So I think another big issue for teachers and schools that want to use an app to help their students study is matching what's online to what they're doing offline. How do you, with your app, StudyCat, how do you manage to match what students are learning on the app with whatever students are learning in their offline curriculum? We don't make var variations of the app for people based on their age groups or their curriculum. We are handling very, very early foundational English. So our, our Fun English for Schools and Fun English app, they're both aligned to Cambridge Young Learners Starters Program. Um, and we probably cover the first 550 most basic words of English. And we don't try to replace people's curriculums. And I always say that if our children and our users can walk away from using our app and think that English is a positive thing and it's been a positive experience for them, then we've done our job. 
finally, Mark, one of the other big limitations I can see for technology is how do you get students to improve their spoken English on an app? I know there's some exciting new technology with speech recognition and things. Can you give us a bit of a, a behind-the-scenes view of how that works and maybe what some of the limitations are? It's, it's a really good question. The way our apps have evolved is that they have been built for the consumer market. So for us to survive, it had to be about the gameplay retention. If people weren't coming back, we'd die. So we had to have um, fun, quick games that are very, very easy to do with vocabulary. Since around 2004, we've looked at voice recognition as the mecca for online learning. And it's just now getting to the point with technology both on device and off device, where we can start to do pretty cool things with capturing voices, sending it up to the cloud, checking it against native speakers, bringing it back down and giving the kids a score. You've done well, you've said that well enough. What we found in our experience, Ross, is that there's a lot of maturity for this um, voice detection and this software for adults, but it's very, very difficult to get it right for kids. And what you don't want to do is give false negatives or false positives. What you can't do is have a kid say, boo, and you say, ah, that's terrible, there's nothing like it. We can't, you know, then you get the kids just getting very negative experiences. And so what we've done is we've created a database of hundreds of thousands of voices, and we've manually gone and recorded whether we think that that was sufficiently close to the pronunciation we're looking for what we can do is we can now capture those voices send them to the cloud bring them back give the kid an a a plus a however we would decide to grade that we haven't worked that out yet yeah i can imagine children sitting around the kitchen table screaming at their ipads and bubbles popping and cards flipping and that will be a really really clear way for parents to see that their children are learning from the apps, uh, and we know that they learn to speak from the apps. But then we can also deliver that to the parents' uh, dashboard so that the parents can see and hear their children making daily progress. So again, everyone, that was Mark Pemberton. To find out more about Mark or StudyCat, go to StudyCat, that's S-T-U-D-Y-C-A-T, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, please visit www.tefltraininginstitute.com. And if you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a good rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.